Buddy. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord again tonight. Amen. Appreciate the presence of the Lord that we feel. Amen. I'm thankful tonight that God still speaks. Hallelujah. If we come to him with a hunger in our heart, I'm thankful that he still speaks. Amen. doesn't matter what our need is. Amen. He has our answer. Praise God. And I'm just waiting for him to speak. Amen. But you know, sometimes we also have to make sure that we're ready to listen. Hallelujah. There's been times in my life when God spoke to me a few times and the same thing every time. It took a couple times for me to realize, you know what? He's talking to me. Amen. I just want to be sensitive to the voice of God. Amen. And hear and heed the voice of God. Amen. There's times in talking to my children. Amen. When I'm trying to instruct them and they're talking too, And finally, I'm going to say, you know what? You're not listening to me. Stop and listen. Amen. And then they might listen. Praise God. But, you know, I think sometimes God does the same thing with us. Stop. Amen. Listen. Hallelujah. I'm thankful he speaks tonight. Amen. Amen. If you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter two. Verse number 38, amen, very familiar scripture, no doubt to all of us tonight, amen, to most of us anyways, but it's what I have felt on my heart, I guess kind of a continuation from Sunday night, but I have felt this all week, amen, and so I just want, hope the Lord will help me tonight, amen, to deliver it as he has given it to me. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2, we'll also go to Philippians chapter number 2. Amen. Beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. From this untoward generation. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For a little bit tonight, I want to preach on the subject, save yourself. Save yourself. Praise God. Amen. Can you lift your hands? Ask God to have his way in this place. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your presence tonight, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we're asking, Lord, that your perfect will would be done in this service tonight, God. Lord, we need your touch. We need your help tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I am so dependent upon you tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I give you praise tonight. I give you glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. And you may be seated. Praise God. Amen. We have read here, of course, taking my thought from Acts chapter 2 and verse number 40. Where Peter said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
This word untoward, according to Thayer's Greek dictionary or lexicon, whatever you want to call it, means crooked or curved. can mean perverse, wicked, unfair, surly, or forward. Praise God. If we have ever seen, amen, a wicked generation, it would be the generation that we are a part of. If we have ever seen, according to this definition, an untoward generation, it is the generation that we find ourselves a part of tonight. Amen. We can't choose what generation that we live in. We can't choose what generation that we are a part of. It's just what we're stuck with. Amen. God chose the day that we were going to live in. He chose where we were going to be and what time of time we were going to live in. We couldn't choose that for ourselves. Praise God. It was a choice that was made for us. So we are in this generation. Amen. This word surly, I, I was kind of interested in what this word meant. And according to dictionary.com, it meant rude or bad tempered. Hmm. Unfriendly or hostile, menacingly irritable, dark or dismal, or lastly, which they also said was an obsolete definition, but it was arrogant. Praise God. That's a pretty good description, I believe, of our generation. This word forward means willfully contrary. Not easily managed. Willfully contrary. Hallelujah. We live in a generation where folks just love to be contrary. Amen. They love to find something that they can argue about or argue with. Amen. I've known some people that depending on who they're talking to, they'll argue either side of the argument. Just because they like to argue. Amen. And one day they have one side and they'll argue it for two hours. The next day they find someone that agreed with that point of view. So they argue the other side. Just because they like to be all uh, this little bit different. Praise God. But amen. That's what kind of generation that we live in. They want to do their own thing and do it their own way. Oh, hallelujah. We live in a generation that some say doesn't even have an identity. It's in a generation that just goes with the flow. If it feels good, just go ahead and do it. It'll be okay. Well, I'm going to step out just a little bit and be brave right here. But if we look at our country over the last 50 or so years, we can see many things that have transpired that have led us to the place that we are today. Amen. Ah, if you just bear with me for a few minutes while I lay some groundwork here. But we saw 50 some years ago, we saw God taken out of our classrooms. Amen. Where they could no longer read the Bible, pray in classroom. They, they couldn't have that in the classroom any longer. Well, praise God. We've seen abortion legalized. In the state that I grew up in, they legalized physician-assisted suicide. Amen. That we have seen just over the past couple years, we've seen where they have legalized the growing of medicinal marijuana and now recreational. I happened to be this summer in the great state of Washington, the day that it became legal to buy marijuana for recreational use. Hey, man, there was these guys dancing all over beside the road with a picture with a marijuana leaf on it with an arrow pointed towards the store. 
Hallelujah. It looked like they had had some before they went out there. Praise the Lord. Amen. But this is the kind of generation that we are now a part of. Amen. Where morality has been thrown out the window. And if you live by a set of morals, if you try to live by the word of God, you become the oddball. Well, hallelujah. I'm struggling tonight. We have seen where school shootings have become normal. Where violence has become normal. Riots are now normal. Hallelujah. When someone goes and wins a sporting championship, they celebrate by rioting. Rolling cars over, breaking into stores, and, uh, and it's a great day for everybody but whose possessions got stolen. Hey, man, I was trying to find today, I was doing some research, couldn't find any good numbers on how many millions of dollars have been wasted in this rioting we've seen in Ferguson, Missouri. But I know in the first month, $4.2 million is what the county itself spent because of the riot. And that's just a small piece. And that is the generation that we are a part of. Where violence is as perfectly accepted as a part of life. The other problem I see in this generation is that we live in a generation where people do not say again, do not accept responsibility for their actions. Praise God. They find somebody else to take the blame. If they get caught, they find an excuse for what they are doing. They blame it on their father or their grandfather, the way they were raised or their friends that they hung around, or maybe it's the color of their skin. They find some reason to do what they are doing. They find a reason or an excuse to make themselves look good, to make what they're doing look right, or, or to find a reason to look like a victim that they can get away with the activity that they are doing. It's never their fault. But I want to tell you tonight that there is one thing that we cannot pass our responsibility on. There's one thing that we can't find an excuse for. And that's whether or not we are going to live for God. Or whether or not we are going to find salvation. That is completely my decision. I've got to make up my own mind. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. We've got to make up our mind what it is that we are going to do. Thank you. Hallelujah. I've been twisting knobs and I'm twisting the wrong one. Hallelujah. Amen. But we, we've got to somehow, we've got to find that place uh, where we can make up our own mind. Our pastor can't make our decision for us. Our parents can't make our decision for us. Our children can't make it for us. But that Luke, when he wrote that, and Peter, when he stood up that day, with many words did he say, you've got to save yourself from this untoward generation. Hallelujah. I've got to make up my mind that I want to be saved. I've got to make up my mind that I want to live for him. That I want him to be in my life. Hallelujah. 
There was a man one day chosen by God. None goodlier than him. He was a man that stood head and shoulders above all the rest. He was an honorable man. He was a humble man. He was handsome. He was strong. He was tall. And he was the first king of Israel. Known by the name of Saul. Hallelujah. When Saul started out his reign as king, there was many things he did that were good. Amen. He came to some people's aid. He, he was doing good. But there came a point when he, he got big in his eyes. Got a little arrogant, if you would. And uh, he began to think that he could do things that wasn't his responsibility to do. The time came to make war, and so he called for the prophet Samuel to come and make a sacrifice. And he waited seven days for Samuel. Hey, man, that's not bad. Bad. That's not bad. Seven days. Hey, man, I wait seven minutes and I'm getting impatient. Praise God. He waited seven days and Samuel didn't show up. And so he said, you know what? I'm just, this is my version of the story, but I can just see him saying, you know what? I, I've watched him do this a lot of times. And I've seen them do it all my life. I know how to prepare a sacrifice. And so he prepared it to, and he lit it and he offered a sacrifice. And the smoke was yet rising from the sacrifice uh, when Samuel showed up. And all of a sudden judgment began to fall on this man Saul because he had done this little thing and I, I know I preached about it Sunday night but I'm feeling a burden tonight but he began to sin and sin came in to his heart that day judgment fell that his kingdom would be taken from him and, uh, and he went on with life though and there came a day when God came and whether you like this or not God ordered him to go to Amalek and to kill every living creature in Amalek it was a judgment from God whether we like to think about it or not it was a judgment from God and so Saul took the army of Israel down there and I'm going to tell you in our mind he destroyed them he wiped them out. And so Samuel comes and he meets Saul on the way back from the battle. And he said, hey, how went the war? He said, man, we destroyed them. Samuel said, well, what then is the lowing of the cattle and the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Saul said, oh, the people desired to bring back the best to offer as a sacrifice the people it wasn't me it was the people see he's doing the same thing that people today like to do too pass off that responsibility it wasn't me that did it it wasn't my decision to make it. They, they chose to do it and Sam said well who's this guy he said well that's king Agag the king of Amalek. And Samuel looked at him and said, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And judgment falls that day on Saul. And God departed from Saul. 
The hand of God lifted from Saul. The presence of God was no longer with Saul. And I find a very disturbing part of this story is that even though Saul hears those words come out of the mouth of Samuel, we do not find anywhere in the scripture where Saul fell on his face and cried out in repentance. We don't find where Saul humbled himself and sought after God. We do find where he wanted Samuel to pray for him. But we don't find where Saul went and prayed for himself. And you find that Saul, as days went on, that he grew bitter, he grew hard, he grew angry, he threw spears, he tried to kill. He, he was a bitter man and he died in that state. A bitter, bitter man. But we never, ever find a place where Saul tried to make it right with God. David was the man that was anointed king as Saul's replacement. Spirit of the Lord rested upon David. We read in the book of Acts, I believe it was, where they said that he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that loved to worship. He, he was a man that loved God. He was a man that even though he was anointed to be king, it was many, many years before he finally became king in Israel. We find that Saul tried to come after him, tried to kill him repeatedly. We find that David had to run for his life, yet he refused to ever go against the man that God had anointed to be king. David finally does become king. Seven years over Judah, then finally over all of Israel together. He reigned a total of 40 years. David was not a perfect man. He was far from perfect, which is amazing that we see him called a man after God's own heart when he was not perfect. But I want to show you what a difference was between him and his predecessor. One day Israel was at war. David most likely should have been with them, but instead he's on his rooftop. He beholds Bathsheba bathing. He desires her, sins for her, commits adultery with her. She becomes with child. So David sends for her husband, which was Uriah, one of his mighty men of valor. He sends for him under the ruse or trying to fool him by just wanting news of the war. When Uriah delivers his report, he sends Uriah home thinking he could cover up his sin. <clears throat> but Uriah refused to go home to the comfort of his home while all his men were still at the war and at the battle. So he sat at the gate of David's house and guarded his king through the night. David went to extreme means trying to get Uriah to go home. But yet Uriah absolutely refused to go home. Didn't matter what David tried. Uriah would not go home. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 15. He sent Uriah back with the message. And he wrote in the letter saying. Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. He said, all right, you won't play my game and cover my sin. I'll take care of you. And so he sends this word. Uriah was a man of integrity. He wouldn't think of opening a letter from the king. 
takes it back right to the man. Joab sends him into that place in the battle. And the fighting's fierce. And they blow the retreat. But there was one thing about Uriah. There was no retreat in Uriah. He stood there and fought. Though those men were retreating, he stood and fought until finally they overwhelmed him. And he lost his life. And David sits back and rubs his hands together thinking he has it all taken care of. He takes Bathsheba into his house. She becomes his wife. He's got it all taken care of. He's got it all hidden. Everything is covered up. And life goes on. Boy, it's quiet tonight, but I feel this. I feel this tonight. One day, Nathan the prophet comes by to visit David. In 2 Samuel 12 and 1, the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up. It grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Could you imagine? Here this man is with his little pet, the rich man across the road who had everything. But yet he doesn't want to take from his own herd, so he goes and takes the, young, the, the poor man's pet and dressed it and served it. If you heard this story, you'd be mad too. I hope. Verse 5 says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. I can just see David sitting back saying, whoa, I just gave myself a death sentence. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. If that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I gave you everything you needed. If that hadn't been enough, all you had to do was ask, and I would have given you such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. The judgment of God fell on David that day, the sword would never depart from his house. His child that he had with Bathsheba would surely die. And here is where we find the difference. Both men sinned grievously. Okay, so have all of we. 
Maybe we've never committed adultery. We've never murdered. I understand that. But we have sinned as well. Everybody has. But here is the difference between Saul and between David. Where one man dies bitter and one man leaves a legacy that he had a heart after God's own heart. David fell on his face and sat cloth and ashes, fasted and prayed seven days. Psalm 51 verse 1 was the psalm that he wrote in this day that he was in. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. The difference between Saul and David was not that one was a sinner sinner, and one was perfect. They were both sinners. The difference was is one would not repent and one fell on his face before God and cried out for mercy. One acknowledged his transgression. One asked to be washed and asked to be cleansed. One said, create in me a clean heart. I know what I've done is wrong and I need a clean heart. One said, don't let your Holy Spirit depart from me. And Saul just shrugged and walked away when he heard that God had departed from him. But David said, please, don't let your Holy Spirit depart from me. I don't want your presence to be, I want it to be with me. Cleanse me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Let me tell you something. God is still in the business of restoration. It doesn't matter what we've done or how far we've gone. He's still in the business of restoration. If we can find that place where we say, you know what? I acknowledge my transgressions. I know what I've done is not right. I know I've done wrong. And I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. I tell you what, he's still faithful. He is still just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's still there to restore the joy of salvation.
salvation. difference was is one was willing to simply repent hallelujah there's a young man one day in scripture it was a parable that Jesus told this young man went to his father and he demanded of him his inheritance and so his father gave him his portion I will said he blew it in riotous living Bought friends, he had fun, he had temporary pleasure, he had a temporary good time. You say, how do you know it was temporary? Well, because he ran out of money. Once he ran out of money, his partying was over, his good times were over, his riotous living was over. He went from a place where he was in a privileged household, a man of means, a man that he grew up in a very nice place. From, If I understand the parable correctly, he had everything he could want or desire. But when we find him after blowing his inheritance, we find that he hired himself out to a man in that far country that he had gone to to feed pigs. We find him starving. We find him filthy. We find him with no food, no money, no anything. He was so hungry that he would have filled his belly with the husks that the pigs did eat. word feign he said he would fain have filled his belly if i understand it correctly it's something along the lines of gladly 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 filled his belly with pig slop this privileged son i don't know how long he stayed where he was but one day he had that old bucket of pig slop Taking it out to feed the pigs. Looking at it thinking, man, that looks good. Rotten corn. Table scraps. The Bible says that he came to himself. He stood there knee deep in the muck and mire of the pig pen. He came to himself. Said, how many of my father's servants... Have plenty and to spare. And here I am starving to death. He said, I'll rise and go to my father. Say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. And then, instead of just still thinking about it, he put action behind his thoughts. He came to himself. And he had a realization. But until he left where he was, that's all he was ever going to have. But one day he got up from the pig pen and started on a long journey home. Not knowing what his reception would be. But the Bible says that when he was yet off, great distance off. That his father saw him. And came running to him fell on his neck and kissed him. He went into his rehearsed speech. Said, boy, I'm not worried to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. And his dad didn't even hear a word he had to say. He said, come on, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's, it's time to have a party because this my son was lost. But he's come home again. 
My son, he walked away. He ran away, but hey, he's come home again. It's time to rejoice. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, I believe the change happened in this young man the day that he came to himself and realized where he was and realized the condition that he was living in. But he also realized where he could go. He realized what his answer was. He couldn't just sit there and think and get the pig pen nicer. What he had to do is he had to get up and he had to go to daddy's house. He had to go back to his father's house. Hallelujah. As long as he sat there, nothing changed. But the day he made up his mind, I'm going home. I'm going back to daddy's house. We can be in the roughest situation of life. Life beating us up and we're out there and we know that what we're doing may not be right. We know there's something better, that God has something better for us. But as long as we stay where we are, God can't do anything. But if we'll come to ourselves and realize that if we'll go to the Father's house, if we'll go to Daddy's house, that's where we can find restoration. That's where we can find that satisfaction. That's where we can find joy and peace is at the Father's house. Hallelujah. But it's a decision that each has to make for themselves. Hallelujah. Tonight you could be at a crossroad in life. I'm not much into poetry. There is a poem that I love written by Robert Frost. Said two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both. Be one traveler long I stood. Looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said it like this. Verse number 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight or narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way 
which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Enter in at the straight gate. The word straight simply meant narrow. Hallelujah. It's not the broad way. Unfortunately, it's not the most traveled way. But that other way is broad, it's wide. But the end is destruction. But that straight gate, that narrow way, is what leads to life. Not all roads lead to the same destination. According to scripture, there's just one door. Jesus is that door. Just one way, and he is that way. We have to make up our mind if we're going to walk in that way that leads to life. Hallelujah. I know this ain't shouting tonight. I'm telling you what I believe that in the hour that we're living in, it's an hour where we've got to make up our mind. It's an hour where we have got to make our calling and election sure. It's a day where we got to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. It's a day where we have got to save ourselves. And the only way that we can save ourselves, we read it in our text today, is we have to repent of all of our sins. We've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And he will fill us. It's a promise. He will fill us with the Holy Ghost. He will come and dwell in our hearts. Hallelujah. And the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off. I ask you tonight, which story is going to be yours? The story of a Saul. The story of a David. The story of the one that wanted everybody else to pray for him. Or the story of that great king. Had so much power, prestige, and honor. Yet when that man of God came and stood in his face. <laughs> He fell on his face, sat there fasting and crying out for mercy. I believe with everything in me that David found the mercy that he was looking for. He found that forgiveness that he was looking for. Hallelujah. Did he have heartache because of his decision? Yes, he did. But I do believe that God came down and gave him that joy back. Amen. Gave him, amen, those things that he had lost. He gave it back because of a man who was willing to fall on his face before God. Hallelujah. Tonight ahead of you lies two different ways. One way looks easy. One way is narrow. One way is broad. 
Which road are you going to take tonight? One way seems like we have to give up some things to live, but I'll tell you what, there's nothing we give up that he doesn't give back hundredfold. Hallelujah. You say, but I've got to lay down my life, yeah? But he gave, he laid down his that we might find life. Hallelujah. There's nothing I've had to give up living for God that he hasn't blessed me over and over and over and over and over. Hallelujah. It's a straight way, but it's a way that leads to life. It's a way that leads to joy. It's a way that leads to fulfillment. It's a way that leads to satisfaction. It's a way that leads to feeling accepted. It's that way that leads to knowing that he is my God and I am his child. It's that way that leads to knowing that the mighty God says I'm his. And every time I need him, he's right there. Every time that I might be hurting, every time that I'm feeling different things, I can reach out and he's right there because I chose that straight way. I chose that narrow way. I chose repentance. I chose to lay myself down. I chose it because he has chosen us. He's chosen me. He's chosen you. And stand with me tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know where you're at. But you know where you're at. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. And we spend just a few moments right now being honest with ourselves. Can we come to ourselves and realize where it is that we are? Can we realize where it is that we are right now? If we're staring at that fork in the road, won't you chose that straight and narrow way? Won't you choose that way that leads to life? I tell you, it's a promise that if you'll repent, if you'll be baptized in his name, he will fill you with his spirit. He'll change your life. He'll make you happy. Give you satisfaction you've never known. He'll fill every void in your life. He'll fill every longing in your heart. But today you have to make a choice. Are you going to save yourself? I wish I could just say the word and everybody would be saved. But I can't. I've got to make up our own mind. Above everything else, I, I must be saved. Above everything else, I, I've just got to be saved. I've got to know that my name's been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've got to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. The man of God can't do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. Hallelujah.
have a good friend that told me this story and I, I feel to tell it tonight but there's an old preacher preaching one night and at the end of his message a couple young boys that were just messing around the whole time come up to him and said hey preacher how far am I from heaven preacher didn't really say a whole lot and they laughed and walked away to their place of residence just a few doors down from the church that night their house caught on fire boys lost their lives when all the fire had been put out that old preacher walked to their bedroom where they had lost their lives and from that door he walked to the house of God right to the altar it was 200 and some steps if I remember the story correctly and he said son that's how far you were from heaven You want to know how far you are from heaven? It's however far you are from an altar where you can make your calling and election sure. Where you can fall down on your face before Him and make a decision to save yourself. To save yourself. Won't you come and talk to Him tonight? Amen. I don't care how long you've been here, how short of a time you've been in this place. I would invite everybody to come to this altar tonight. Won't you come and make sure that you're ready? Won't you come and make certain? Amen. Won't you come work out your salvation with fear, with trembling?